and it's an exciting day. I'm launching a somewhat new podcast. It's an idea I've had for a while. It's an idea that spun off from when I did a one-on-one interview with Morgan Moose Wright from American Ninja Warrior as part of the Waterman and D-Train show. But, you know, that show is a show of different character, um, has a different audience, and not everybody wants to hear positive stuff. And so I'm kind of launching this fail-to-fail podcast where I sit down and interview people who that I feel have made a success from their life despite their uh, bringing up, despite maybe their education or their past history. And um, as I was thinking about doing this podcast and trying to figure out the first person to bring on, an associate of mine that I haven't seen in quite a few years, he was uh, part of my Dollar Dollar Bowl Night League, a gentleman named Mike Frenchko. Mike, how you doing today, fella? Sit, pull up, pull right on up to that microphone. Get right on up on it. Almost like you want to kiss it. There you go. Like that. Yep. How you been, fella? Been really good. Good to hear. Now, we're going to get into your story here momentarily. Um, I hope you're good with talking about everything. So let's just get right to it. I'm going to kill the background music. I just threw this podcast together. I literally created a half-assed logo three minutes ago so that I have something to put on the internet with it. I have no theme song. This is the first episode. We're coming right out the gate. So, Mike, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Uh, Pelican Street. Pull that microphone in a little bit closer to you. Just the whole, you know, there you go. Right there? Yep. Awesome. Uh, I grew up on Pelican Street in Cape Coral, born Fort Myers Hospital. Fantastic. Um, what was like, like, what was life in Cape? Uh, you said Fort Myers, or Cape Coral. Cape Coral. What was life in Cape Coral like back then? Slow. Slow. Yeah, very slow. Now I know when I moved back down here, and well, I moved down here originally. I never left, but when I moved down here in '04, um, it was kind of a sleepy town. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot of things going on. There surely wasn't the amount of entertainment venues, things going on that we have now as far as concerts and things to do. What did you do to occupy your time when you weren't in school? Drugs, gangs, violence. How early How early in your life did you get involved with the drugs and the gangs? 11. 11? Yep. Well, um, what Was it a national gang or was it just a little Cape Coral gang? You know, something that... Just a little Cape gang. Yeah. Me and my boys. Just running around, tearing shit up, breaking into cars, <laughs> spray painting. Uh, never broke into cars, never broke into houses, just fighting people and... Um, it's running the streets. Running the streets, just full-blown debauchery. That's it. What was your uh, drug of choice back then? Uh, 11 was marijuana, and then getting into like 14, 15, started getting into the coke and the ecstasy, and then the meth, and then the molly, and then turned into the heroin. And So you went full-blown all the way down to the, with the H. Now, were oh, you yeah. snorting it or shooting it? I was shooting it three, three to five times a day at one point. As a teenager? Uh, no, not as a teenager. That got into my later years. Now, while you were doing all this during your childhood and your teenage years, how did this affect your, where you, I'm assuming you're probably a pretty crappy student at that point, right? Straight F. Straight F. 0.7 GPA up until 10th grade where I got expelled. You got expelled and that was it? Yeah. Now, did you ever go back and get your GED? I did. I went, well, not my GED. I went and took, I went and sat for the, the diploma mm-hmm. and I just took it without studying. I just went and took it and passed it. The first really? Time. So that just goes to show you that once your head is clear and you have your your faculties about you, that you're smart enough to, I mean, sit down unprepared, yeah. un, untested, just sit down and, and pass the equivalency exam, just boom, gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now you got expelled after, after high school. Well, not after high school, you got expelled in 10th grade. Um, 
where did you where did your life take you after that point? What were you doing for a living? Where were you living? Were you just spending your days partying? How what was your daily existence like? So fifteen I got expelled and started working at Target and just getting into trouble, still running the streets. Then I st- 18 I started working for the city because you had to be 18 and I was just like man there's nothing here it's just it's not what I wanted to do and I had nothing else to do so I was like military let's 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 try that so but you were able even without it well actually you did sit down and get your high school diploma what were you doing for the city uh the uh, the water okay like putting in sewer lines okay uh, the the city city water stuff sure and so you were bored with that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the pay wasn't that great. You're out working in a hot-ass sun. You're working underground. Yep. Covered in sand. Yep. <laughs> covered in dead lizards. Yep. Everything else. So what branch of the military did you go into? Army. Army. Now, at this point, obviously, there's drug testing involved with your entrance into the Army. So how long or how were you able to get clean before enlisting into the Army? That's the only thing I could do with my life. So it was either quit smoking and quit doing the drugs or not or else I wasn't going to get in. So I stopped everything. And so the, the hard life of reality is like, okay, I got a high school diploma because I showed up and I, I cleaned up long enough to get that done. But I'm still no college degree, really no externable tradable skills per se. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely don't want to be climbing around underground in the hot Florida heat all the time. Mm-hmm. And so my choices are continue down this road or join the military. That's it. And so you stayed clean long enough to pass the exams. I'm sure you went and got some uh, different beverages that help purify your system and clean you out. And, yep. And all that nonsense. You're surfing the internet, seeing how long it takes and yep. what you got to do. And so you joined the Army. Now, when you got into the Army, was boot camp a shock for you? Or were you kind of prepared before you went? Did you have other friends who had enlisted in the military at some point? It wasn't a shock. Um, I I really enjoyed like physical activity, so that part of it was fun. The um, bullying aspect of it was a shock because I figured that all of us coming together as one whole unit to fight for our country, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be like that. But I mean, I dealt with bullying from first grade on, and it was it was no different. So throughout the ranks, actually in boot camp, the other guys you were there with, they all still formed their own little cliques and oh, still. Yeah. All the same nonsense that you had been dealing with? My whole life. Kept but, dealing with it. But I'm sure at that point with your history of being involved in gangs and violence, did you, since you joined the military as a transformation in your livelihood, were you able to keep your temper in check? Or did you kind of get into some trouble while in boot camp? Did you ever let their the other um, recruits' negativity get to you in any way? Um, so I grew up in, uh, when I was eight, I got beat up really bad and my dad put me in MMA, karate and mixed martial arts. So I trained for 10 years before I joined the military. Okay. Um, my philosophy was I never threw a punch unless they threw it first. Sure. And I, I lived that way for the rest of my life. Um, so I always got picked on because I was very sensitive. Mm-hmm. So they would pick on me and I'd end up crying and, and it just turned into something completely different than what it uh, originally started off as. And I got into like one, two fights in, in boot camp, but it was because they put their hands on me first. Now, you said your father, after you took a severe whooping from um, someone else in the community, your father enlisted you into some different martial arts. Is that where your 
Um, your life habits of physical fitness got involved too. Were you, were you hitting the gym as well, or were you just doing the um, going to the classes? Just going to the classes, just training. But I was also playing baseball, soccer, um, running track. My dad was an athlete, so he trained us. Okay, so you so you already had the athletic genes. Yeah. Now you got the um, the rudimentary child level martial arts skills. Mm -hmm. Now you're going off to the military. Now you're learning some real fighting skills yeah (laughs) you're learning the stuff that you know to defend yourself and more now where did you get um who were you stationed with where did you go after boot camp uh after boot camp i went to fort stewart uh georgia right outside of hinesville by savannah and who were you assigned to uh tuskers 423rd battalion and what was your um your job a forward observer we were uh, basically artillery we would go in first scope out the scene uh, see what needed to be done, and then the infantry would come in behind us, so we were attached to an infantry unit. Well, a forward, forward observer, that's not a position that to be taken lightly. I mean, you are you have more people's well-being in your hands, and you also have to take special training for that. Now, when you're in boot camp or post-boot camp, you got assigned to be an forward observer, and you went to take your classes because you got to be able to read a map, got to be able to call in, you know, so many clicks left to the right and all that. Mm-hmm. Now you're clean, now you're sober, for the first time since you're 11, 12. Were you surprised on how easily the schooling came to you and how well you understood it and retained it, or did you still have kind of a problem because of your, your poor um, past school history? Um, for me, it wasn't a problem only because my dad was uh, had us reading maps at a young age, driving through the country. We would take road trips every summer in between schools, so he had me reading the maps. So I got familiar with reading maps at a young age. So it's probably when you went through boot camp and took your initial testing that when you did the small little section on map reading skills, they saw that you had a gift for that and knew that you would probably be good for the forward observer position. Mm -hmm. And um, did you ever get deployed anywhere? Were you stateside most of the time? I was stateside because I actually started taking pain pills in boot camp. Really? Yeah, they did um, surgery on my mouth. They removed four of my my uh, wisdom teeth okay. and they gave me codeine and that was the first time I tried that and that was that was it from there so you basically got yourself off of drugs cleaned yep. up mm-hmm. thought you were going the right direction you're yep. like military's place for me man we're better to stay off of drugs and and keep my uh, nose clean but then you have a, a standard dental procedure and now you're you find yourself addicted to codeine yeah so did you um you stayed stateside did you end up getting honorably discharged, or did you get in trouble and get kicked out of the military? Were you just you did your four years and left? How did the military play out for you? So I had that surgery, and then once I got out um, from boot camp and got to my station duty, um, they did surgery on my left knee mm-hmm. and gave me more pain pills. Mm, fun. And then I just went back, and because I wanted more, I was like, oh, well, I have heartburn. And they did another surgery, gave me more pain pills. And then I was like, after those ran out, I was like, oh, my shoulder hurts. And they did surgery on my shoulder. So you were essentially pill chasing oh, yeah. on a military base. Oh, yeah. As soon as they did that surgery on my mouth and gave me those, I was like, oh, I want these. So you're just... Now, would you say you have an addictive personality? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Completely. Anything you get involved with, you whole hog. That's it. I'm full in or full out. <laughs> well, the good thing is, is that if you take that energy and that addictive personality, and you figure out a way to channel it mm-hmm. and aim it at something positive, that's a great aspect to have in your life. Definitely. But it is so easy to take that addictive personality 
and just pick up on any little bad thing, whether it's women, drugs, yep. alcohol, gambling. Yep. I mean, and some of the biggest problems people have is that addictive personality. And I have one too. You know, growing up, I started skateboarding in third grade. I hit it hard, hit it every day up until I was 21. Snowboarding, same way. As you can see, the World War II stuff, you're yep. surrounded by it. Yep. Everything I get involved, podcasting, now I'm hosting my third podcast. So anything I get involved with, my work, um, I'm a workaholic. I work nonstop. Um, and no lie, you know, growing up as a teenager, we all did the party and stuff. And, you know, the addictive personality held, held me back there for the longest time. I didn't get my head out of my ass until I was in my early 30s. And so one of the hardest things for people to do is to find something positive to point that, that addictive laser at, mm -hmm. to attach it onto. And one of the other things that it's really beneficial in, in your life and in mine most recently, is fitness and working out. If you have that addictive personality, and if you can make it past that 21 days, that's when you form that habit or break that habit, forget about it. It's all somewhat easier. And it just helps you get there and helps you keep going. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. So now you're, you're pill chasing, you're doctor shopping yep. on military bases. At what point did they finally just discharge you? So in 2007 my wife um left me for my best friend with my month old daughter that's nice yeah and uh now looking back on it can you well i guess the the first question is was the best friend a more stable harder working person or was he kind of the same personality defects that you had same same thing so it wasn't a step up it wasn't something that she did in her mind to provide a better future for the child it was just kind of a lateral move yeah he he was lying to her and put filling all these just telling her a bunch of lies yeah and he got what he wanted and he left her three weeks later yeah <laughs> and so now you're, you're divorced now i am yeah you have a at the time a, a pill addiction yep and i'm assuming when you came home and the free world opened back up to you. That pill addiction probably led you back down to some of the, the paths that you had ventured on as a child. Oh, yeah. So what were you doing from the time you left the military up until the time we'll call your life transformation where you finally found a way, the hard way, but you found a way to point your laser of addictive personality to positive things? What were you doing during that time span? Trying to kill myself completely. I was doing anything I could just to numb the pain of life. Self-medication? That's it. Coke, meth, molly, whatever I could, you know. And kind of in the psychological realm, and in, in the screwed up way that people tend to think, especially those who are on um, hard drugs, your wife leaving you, taking the kid, that probably provided a good, healthy excuse yeah. to condone your behavior. Because, you know, with most addicts, you'll find whether it's something huge and traumatic or something minor that happened in their childhood, one of the key components to being an addict is having an excuse. Finding something to blame so that you, you, yes, in, internally when you're sober and or you're waking up in the morning and you're reevaluating your life before you go out and do it all over again, you, you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and realize you call you on your own bullshit, but when it comes up the time to re-upping, you love to have that excuse, the reason, oh man, this is, I can't believe this happened so and so, so let's just ride that train again oh yeah and so this went on for how many years 2005 to 2015 
Now, during this time, were you able to at least maintain some a semblance of a job to at least afford rent? Where were you staying at? I mean, how were you managing the daily survival skills that we all need to move on and, re- and that we require? From 2000, and when I got home from the military in 2008, I was staying with my parents at our at our original house that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And then they were also hooked on pain pills because my dad got injured, but my dad's ex-mafia, so he was also running drugs and... My mom was hooked on pain pills, and she was getting all that stuff, so I was staying with them, but it was just bad because when I ran out, they had it, and they provided everything Sure, I mean, you're needed. basically living at a pharmacy, That's and it. now that we know a little bit about what your father's past was, it's not too much of a reach to see why your childhood, you did the things you did, because oh, I'm yeah. sure violence wasn't exactly frowned upon in, in that sort of environment, oh, let no. alone the drugs and the things like that. You probably got an attaboy every once in a while from beating someone's ass coming home. From my mom, no. My dad always told me to defend myself, but yeah. I'd come home. Me and my dad were 12 years old, and we are throwing hands at each other. You know, he hit me in the head with a 45-pound weight one time, and, you know, so it was a very violent household, you know, very drug-addicted household. And so here you are. You're basically living in a pharmacy because, once mm-hmm. again, once your prescription ran out and you got to wait for that renewal, you, you had somewhere to fall back onto. Oh, yeah. And so... You have a bed to sleep in. Mm-hmm. Your child has been taken away from you. Yep. And so you really didn't have a whole hell of a lot of responsibilities. Your key responsibility is coming up with enough beer money and drug money and figuring out what the hell we're doing this weekend. That was it. And so you would spend your time. I know you spent a the lot bars. of time downtown Fort Myers. Oh, That's yeah. where I first met you. Every night. And then we share a common group of friends. And then as we said at the beginning of the show, you and I used to bowl together during my dollar dollar bowl nights before uh, the fine... Uh, all-star lanes burnt down mm-hmm. but and then one day you disappeared and then I got the news um, I think it was New Year's Eve yep what ha- take us what happened or do you I know you blacked out through most of it but what happened what year and what New Year's Eve and what happened so after after uh, I stopped the pain pills in 2013 because mm-hmm. I met this girl and she Jade Mm-hmm. She uh, she told me that, you know, if, if I cared about her, then I would stop those stuff because she didn't like how it made me, and I cared about her, and I stopped everything, but I stopped the pain pills, and I started drinking. Doubled down on the alcohol? Yeah, that was it, you know. And more liquor than beer. Oh, yeah. I, I carry a beer, but it was all shots. It, that's all it was. It was well. just, so got heavy into that, got fired from every job, from Dixie for getting drunk and flicking cigarettes in my boss's face and got fired from Catch-22 for being drunk and punching one of the computer screens because I didn't like what someone said to me. And So here you are, you're, you have an addictive personality, you fancy hard liquor, yep. you're recently off the pills, yep. you have a bit of a temper problem, Oh yeah. but you work in bars. Yeah. That's a good way to make all of your <laughs> life habits and, and bad decision making work out. Oh yeah. And, and, and working at bars, I mean, that's... It's all cash. Cash, money, women, drugs. It Everything. Just, it just it's the rock and roll without the stage. How's it? And you were just living it up. I mean, you know, you're physically fit. Mm-hmm. You're out partying. Yep. You're almost the Mike the Situation of Fort Myers back in 2014. <laughs> I mean, you're just down there doing it up and just living the life. But as you stated earlier, you're honestly just trying to kill yourself. You're That's just it. burying demons. I went to the hospital in March of 13 because I actually drank so much, I actually had to leave the Buddha bar in an ambulance. Wow. And then went out the next night and kept drinking. Just 
Time to re-up. That was it. Second round. Let's was, go. I'm going to kill myself eventually. You yeah. Know? But, so, New Year's, I was bartending downtown. You um, actually got a job back somewhere? So no. So, finally give you a third ch- chance? No. Ray from Indigo, he would call me up occasionally for big events. Mm-hmm. Call me up, and uh, I was like, yeah, sure. So, I started drinking at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Crown Apple. Didn't eat nothing. Oh, I love wasn't crown drinking Royal Regal Apple. Oh, forget about that it. That was my drink. It's like liquid Jolly Ranchers. That's it. It's so good. <laughs> and that's the last thing you want if you're you're an alcoholic with anger issues is oh, something yeah. that you can drink like liquid Jolly Ranchers. And it tastes so good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I just kept drinking that. I, I think I went through a whole bottle before six. Wow. And, just and this is New Year's Eve, so New you got a long Eve. way to go. Yeah. Blacked out at like seven. And then, so the, the the other bartender and I had this agreement because Ray was trying to take all our tip money. Mm-hmm. So we were going to pocket the cash, pocket the tips, and then at the end of the night, split it up. So I filled up my pocket first, and then she filled up, and then I filled up again. And as the night got further into it, she and I got a little more drunk, and she said I was stealing all our tip money. And then she told security, security came over, and then a scuffle broke out, and then... Next thing I know, I'm in the back of a cop car, so full of rage, I literally smashed my head into the back of the plexiglass and cracked my head open. I had to go to the hospital to get 11 staples. I've seen that. My ex-stepfather, who was a um, former Marine and alcoholic, I watched him actually. Granted, this is back in the mid-90s, so perhaps the plexiglass wasn't as stable as it is now. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the, the demo version, but I actually watched him crack one of those with his forehead one time. I hit it a couple times, too. I remember that. And so now you're in the back of a squad car. You're blacked out. Your wig split. Yep. You're bleeding all over the place. Yep. And then what happens? They pull me out of the cop car and start beating me and punching me in the side. Ended up with some uh, broken ribs, two black eyes, a busted nose. Um, Went to the hospital, got the staples. They threw me in a cell, and I thought I was going to die. Which is kind of what you've been looking for the whole time. Yep. But now that you're looking down at face to face, were you like, "I've this isn't what I want," or were you, bring, were you like, "Bring it on"? I didn't even know at the time. I you was just so out of out. it. Yeah, I was just so out of it. Then they put me in the medical wing because they were like, "Oh, we can't keep this kid in the cell by himself. He's gonna die." Yeah. So they put me in uh, the medical wing, um, and then they put me in solitary confinement. And the Bible ended up in my in my cell with me. And uh, I started reading it. I read the New Testament, and I got to Romans 12, 2, where it says, Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I was like, man, I am so conformed to the world. <laughs> I am. I am I'm the spitting image of what the world looks like. Yeah. And I was facing seven years in prison. Wow. For, for what? Uh, assault on a police officer, resisting with violence, battery, and drug and disorderly. Wow. And from what I understand, the Lee County, they don't play when it comes to stuff like that like sure. you mess with the cops like there's no second chance you're going yeah so so how long were you in jail waiting for your arraignment three months you sat in jail for three months before your court hearing I didn't even have a hearing wow so much for due process I didn't even have a hearing they, they came and they said um, they, they told me what I was facing seven years and I was like okay like I, I, I thought I was going to be going to prison for seven years and so I'm reading this Bible, and I asked Jesus for help. Three months go by, and the judge actually sentenced me to go to school. 
instead. Really? Yeah. You can't send you into the military. You've already been that route. That's it. <laughs> so it's, and so you kind of got an old school judge. Yeah. Well, and, and plus, after sitting and holding for three months, mm-hmm. they probably saw that, okay, clearly most of this guy's problems was based on the crap that he was hopped up on that night. Because yeah. we've had him for three months. He hasn't been in any fights. He's probably been a... I'm just putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming since he assigned you to school, you weren't causing trouble in the jail. No, I got in trouble. Did you? Oh, I got I got sent to solitary confinement twice. Intentionally? No. Just from giving the officers hassles. I got into a scuffle with someone. Yeah. <laughs> now, solitary like it is in the movie where they strip you butt naked and throw you in a concrete room, or do you still have your scrubs on? I had a scrub on, but yeah. I was by myself for two months. Wow. Just me and the Bible. That's it. And that's the, actually, that's the first book I've ever read. 28 years of my life. Never read a book before. Really? Yep. From book cover to cover? Uh, well, I mean, prior to this, you n- you never even... Never picked Other up than homework? No. I didn't do homework. Yeah, you're a straight-up student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, never, ever picked up a book. Which, that is a key component for what he's going to talk about here shortly. And, and part of the reason, because, you know, we've been going at this for 20 minutes now. And everybody's like, why are you talking to this guy who was completely just... A huge asshole. <laughs> he spent his life all drugged up, beating people up. You know, he's pill popping the military. Now he's beating on police officers. Well, going back to the beginning of this podcast, the whole purpose of this podcast is a motivational podcast about people who dealt with their journey and their struggles in a hard way and somehow figured out ways to find the right path. And that's what we're leading up to. And clearly, you spend th- uh, two months in a hole with nothing but a Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably your first glimpse down the correct path. Yeah. Yep. That was it. I would grow. I grew up atheist. Sure. I, I hated Christians. Yeah. I tried to stab a Christian when I was 15 in church. Like I kicked out because I tried to stab him. How did you end up in church when your fifth was it? Like one of the school sponsored programs? Did you go with a friend? I was going to pick up girls. Yeah. Being real, like that's where I was going. I was going to cause trouble and pick up girls. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to stab somebody with a shank. I pulled the knife out and literally tried to stab him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you just spent two months in the hole. You spent seven months in, how long in jail? Three months. Three months. months. So, out of the three months, you two of it, you were in the hole. Yeah. And so, thankfully, you got a judge who saw something in you. Yep. My, hypothe- my hypothesis went straight out the window when she said you got put in the, the hole for fighting. So, But clearly he saw something in you, and he sentenced you to school. Where did, he, where did you go? Um, so when I got out, I originally went to FSW, mm-hmm. which I tried to do years prior when I was still taking the pills. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to go to school because I had my GI Bill, yeah. but I couldn't get in because I couldn't pass the test. Because your your mind wasn't right. Exactly. So this time I went there the first time and I passed the admission test to get in. Now, are you st- does the GI Bill still apply to you? Is there a sunset on that? How does that work? Um, so right now I'm still collecting my GI Bill. Okay. I get I get paid to go to school. Sweet. And they pay me. Then they pay for my school. I just didn't know if the sentencing and the jail time had did anything to disrupt your benefits through the from the military at all. If I would have been convicted of the felony, then I wouldn't have been able to use my GI Bill. But because of the fact that all the charges got dropped, which is a blessing. That judge must have been in a good mood. Yeah. He must have scored like 
five under par that morning on the golf course <laughs> or something. I mean, he was just riding high. Yeah. Not only did he not sentence you to seven years, mm-hmm. but he, basically he wiped all the charges, I'm assuming, with what they call it, no prejudice? Um, something like that. Yeah. I had to go to um, counseling for a year. Anger management? Anger management, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, that, that thing, swathis or... Yeah, did you do the full 12-step? Um, I... I, no, I didn't do the 12-step. They had me in a 16 or a 8-week program, mm-hmm. but I got busted for drinking. Okay. And so they put me from the 8-week, and they added 16 more weeks on to my sentence, which I could have violated probation by that drinking. Sure. But I didn't for some reason. And so now you're going to uh, Florida Southwest College? I was, was at Edison yeah. back then? Uh, no, it was Florida Southwest one, Okay, so 2015. This, okay. Yep, started there. Then did all my prereqs. What was your, what was your, um, at the time, what were you considering for your major? I had no clue. You I just go on because you had to go. That was it. You really didn't have an interest in going, but nope. it, it beat the hell out of sitting in, in jail. Yep. And so basically you were just getting the prerequisites out of the way. Yeah, that was it. And so, so at what point did you finally, well, I'll let you tell the story, but, um, so you spent two months reading the Bible, mm-hmm. now you're in college, but once again... Your addictive personality, long history of drug abuse. Mm-hmm. You're, I'm going to say, what, about four years older than most of your counterparts in, in, at that particular school? Uh, FSW, well, I'm, I'll be 32 tomorrow. And they were all, so I was 28 at the time. I'd say I was 10 years, 10 to. And so now you're on a campus with kids nine to 10 years younger than you. Yeah. A lot of them are just out of their parents' houses for the first time. Yep. And they only have one thing they're thinking about after class, which is getting women or guys or and partying. So, mm-hmm. yes, you're going to where you're sentenced to go, but I'm sure if you if the opportunity arose, you that'd be a perfect place to get more pills, oh, go yeah. to more parties, yep, and go back down the road that led you to where you were to begin with. How did you keep yourself from making those same poor life choices again? Uh, at first, I was living in a homeless shelter. And for actually for like the first seven months of school, I was living in a homeless shelter and they drug test you. And you, if you got in trouble, like it was, you were out. So I would have been living on the streets. I would have had nowhere to go. My brother had just kicked me out of his apartment because I wouldn't follow his rules and listen to him because mm-hmm. he wanted authority and power over me. You know, so Now, looking back at it now in your current mind state, do you think it was really a power trip, or do you think he was trying to get you to pull your head out of your ass? No, it was a power trip. Power trip? Yeah. He's my younger brother, and he has grudges against me because of our past. Mm-hmm. I was a, I was a jerk to him. I oh. treated him like crap. Sure. And, you know, he just wanted to have control over me. And when I said I wouldn't listen to his rules, he literally just kicked me out. So. <laughs> now, you're sitting in front of me with a... Uh, more Jesus, less me shirt on. Is that what the bottom says? Yeah. And a Jesus saves. So I'm, I'm assuming you are a devout Christian. At what point during this journey did you take the Bible that you had read for two months into solitary and to actually going to a physical church and finding a congregation to join? When I got sentenced to go to school instead of prison, I should still be in prison for another three years. Completely so, sober. And so you took the book. You said, oh, I'm, I already know what school I'm going to. Now i got to find a church. Yeah. Where did you end up going? Um, I ended up going to First Assembly okay. of God in Fort Myers. And uh, at the time, I was still struggling with... Actually, I wasn't. On probation, I couldn't do anything, so I was completely sober. Mm-hmm. As soon as I got off probation, though, I went right back to the marijuana. Sure. Started smoking again, and when I came to some brothers, um, 
and told them what I was struggling with, they said that I was not allowed to talk about it. And I was like, that's... That, I thought I was supposed to be open and honest and... That's exactly it. Because that's after a, all, yeah. those who live in glass houses shouldn't be throwing rocks. Well, exactly. if we're if we're tending the windows on our glass houses and we're not being transparent, then how are we supposed to deal with our problems? Exactly. And it says in the word that when you confess your sins that, you know, you'll be forgiven. So I was confessing these things and they're telling me to hide it. And I was like, well, that goes against what the Bible says. So I really don't want to do that. So I posted something on Facebook. And at the time I was living in an apartment there and they actually kicked me out of my apartment. For bad-mouthing them on the internet? No, for telling people that I struggled with marijuana. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I wasn't bad-mouthing them. I was just, I openly confessed that that was my struggle at a time. Sure. And that's when I became homeless. uh, Second time? Second time, yeah. Two years ago. And how long were you, uh... Now, when you say you're homeless, were you hidden homeless, or were you sleeping underneath 41 downtown Fort Myers? I slept in my car. Yeah, I slept in my car for about two years. Really? Yep. Where does one go to sleep in a car without getting towed or, or roused by the man? Walmart. Yeah, Walmart. Yeah, um, yeah because that's their policies. You can camp out in their drive- their yep. parking lot. Yeah. Go in there and get some uh, McDonald's and that's clean it. socks. They didn't mess with you. <laughs> the only thing they're missing would be a shower, but I'm sure you can get on a local uh, pilot truck stop and get those. They have those, yeah. Yeah. So now you're enlisted. In sc- enlisted. No, you already went to military. You're enrolled in school. You're trying to find a new church mm-hmm. because you're getting a little, um, I don't know if I want to say disenfranchised, but you're you're not finding what you believe you should be finding yeah. according to the book you're reading, yeah. and you're going to the places that are supposed to go by what you're reading. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do now? Um, so at that time, I started bouncing around trying to find a place that I felt like they were actually speaking the truth and what, what it says in the word mm-hmm. and living it, not just saying this, but doing something different, you know, and being that hypocritical person. Well, as somebody who's not a hardcore religious person and take this in the spirit in which it's intended, one of the biggest complaints I had growing up is I had found, at least in my experience, some of the quote-unquote hardest, most religious people were the most openly hypocritical. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and that's, and I think, and you could probably agree with this too because you said you're an atheist growing up. That's probably one of the things that lead people away from religion. Yep. And I, through high school, there was times I would consider myself atheist, but the reason I was, it wasn't because I had anything against anybody else. I didn't like being preached to. Mm-hmm. But the irony is nowadays, the 2018 equivalent of an atheist they're just as preachy as some of the hard, most hardcore yeah. Bible thumpers. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. You're just taking your atheism and turning that into a religion yeah. and forcing that on other people, thus basically turning yourself into the thing that you're supposed to be rebelling against to begin with. And so it's just the whole, everything's just getting crazy now. And so you're, you're, you're trying your damnedest. Mm-hmm. You're going to school. What's your grades like now that you're cleaned head and you're, you're focused? I got a 3.6 GPA. Over the last three and a half years, three point six. And you're trying. You're still sleeping in your car, but you're trying to find a, a new, a new um, church to go to. At the time, yeah. And then I'm assuming at some point you're going to need to find a source of employment. Um, I was looking, but at the same time I wasn't because I was getting the GI money. The GI money. I was getting a monthly income every month. 
So I didn't need to. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to live on. Sure. Especially me living in my car. I didn't need much. Yeah. So I was looking, but at the same time, I wasn't. I, I took a server job, but I got fired for praying for people okay. at, at work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got fired for praying people up for at work. <laughs> I can see how some people might find that a little off-putting, unless you know they're, you find out they just spent four hours down at the ICU because their mom's on life support. But yeah. you know, some people are turned off by that. And so, at some point, you find you find the church you're looking for, mm-hmm. you find the support you're looking for, and you're going to school, and relatively up to this point being successful. But from knowing you and seeing your Facebook posts, you start kind of going on little. Uh, many missionary trips, if you will, correct? Yeah. You start traveling around the country? Yep. Now, were you driving or were you just hitching? I mean, how... Because sometimes it, you would just end up in some place like, well, how the hell did you get there? I mean, you are just all over the place. You're you're taking photos. Now, were you going to specific uh, religious outings or were you just hitting a road and wherever the road took you? What was, what was your plan of attack there? So, at the end of my associates last year... I was able to take four classes online. So I was still getting my GI Bill, but I didn't have to be in Fort Myers. So I was like, I'm getting ready to go travel the world, but before the world, I want to travel at least the country that I served for. Sure. So I was already living in my car at the time, so I'm like, okay, let's just go. Direct deposit. I got an ATM card. That was it. So I drove up to Ohio to see my dad, Kentucky. Well, I was going to ask you about the Buckeye tattoo because you're born down here. Yeah. But you got an Ohio State Buckeye tattoo. And I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Um, I left Kentucky in second grade, and I was in Columbus, Ohio from second grade up until the year after I graduated high school. And so I was surprised to see the Buckeye tattoo on your arm, even though you're a cracker. Yeah. So how does that work out? My mom's from Cleveland. My dad's from Warren. Okay. Um, They were running from some mafia trouble, and they ended up down here and stayed here. But I grew up a, a Buckeye fan. We went to Ohio for the summers in between in between uh, grades. Go back up to Cleveland? Uh, Cleveland, Warren, Sandusky, you okay. know, Cedar Point, yep. hitting, that, hitting that up. Thank you for riding Cedar Point, America's Roller Coast. <laughs> the funny thing about that, for those of you who have never been to Cedar Point, because most of us are in Florida, whenever you ride the rides at Cedar Point, at least back in the 90s, the uh, ride people... They didn't have a tape. They would actually say this live every time you got the ride. Like, thank you for riding Cedar Point, America's Roller Coast. But by the end of the day, they're so damn tired. They're like, thank you for riding Cedar yeah. Point, America's Roller Coast. <laughs> and I, I don't know why I haven't been there in 20 years, but that has always stuck with me. And anytime someone says Cedar Point, I always thank you for riding Cedar Point, America's Roller Coast. So your first stop was up in Ohio. You went and you, you rode the Raptor over at Cedar Point mm-hmm. and the uh, the new drag racer. That was fun. Oh man! I see. I had left. Uh, I left in Ohio in two thousand, so I hadn't yet to been back here. And did you get what you were looking for when you took these trips? Um. Yes and no. Um. I was. I really just wanted to just get away from here. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought, you know, get away from here. That's gonna help, but that really didn't. Yeah. And I was just searching and. Just trying to find myself. Because a lot of people associate their problems with a geographical location or the people who live there. It's not. No. And, and it's kind of the same thing with um, not your troubles, but just your perception. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you the perfect example. Like I said, I left Ohio in 2001, and I moved to the where? The one place everybody in the Midwest wants to go, California. So I'm living in Long Beach, California, and I'm working with cats who grew up in L.A., 
and they would complain about how boring LA is. Oh, California sucks, man. This place sucks. I wish I could get out of here. And once I also grew up in Kentucky, so I, you know, I'd I'd spend my summers in Kentucky. I would spend my school year in, in Ohio, and then I moved down here to Florida. And Florida's the second destination that everybody who lives in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, mm-hmm. want to go to. And finding people down here who grew up here, oh, Florida sucks. This town sucks. And I realized, no matter where you were at. The town that you were born and raised in, even if it's L.A. and California or down here in Florida, every place sucks to somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's not the place, it's the person and what they're willing to do with that place exactly. and the experiences they're willing to have. And so kind of with that same modality, you're thinking, okay, well, all my problems are clearly here in Fort Myers. Fort Myers has been nothing but bad to me, so I'm going to hit the road. But... Your problems are psychological. Mm-hmm. Your quote I kind of came up with, I like to, to use, is your soul's being the uh, pack mule for your demons. Mm. And so you got your, your demons and your pack mules in your back seat. And who's the best passenger? Loneliness. Yep. And so now you're, you're hitting the open road. You're alone. Mm-hmm. You got your demons in the back seat, feeding the donkey. And what do you do next? Continue to search. Yeah. That's all I was doing, just searching. Now, when you got to a new town, would you try to find a, a church? Always. Always try yeah. to find a festival, something. Something going on. Yeah, some something where I can communicate with people and get together with people and share my story. Now, was that in itself mind-opening? Where did you find some churches were receptive to somebody who's walking in, and some of them were not so receptive? How how did that how did that open your eyes or close your eyes? Um. Okay, so like I was barefoot everywhere too. Mm-hmm. So. You got this guy at the time. I had my beard. Yep. My big Grizzly beard. Adams Grizzly beard. Adams. You know, long hair. Tattoos. Tattoos. You know, barefoot. barefoot. And I got a lot of looks. But I had my Jesus shirts on. I had my hats on. And um, I didn't care what people thought because my whole life I cared way too much. Sure. And that, that was it. You know, I got a lot of a lot of questions. What I was doing. Why I was doing it. What are you running from? What that? Yep. What was I running from? What are you searching for? It was eye-opening. Did you ever find what you're looking for? Oh, yeah. The road back home? road back home. So here you are. Back here. Now, I opened up the shows talking about I was trying to figure out who to book for my first episode. And I mentioned a Facebook post. And you probably don't have it memorized, but do you vaguely remember the Facebook post that you posted that led me to reach out to you for doing this first episode? A little bit. What was it? About... The teachers telling me how stupid I was and that I would never mount to anything and I would never do anything with my life. Um, law enforcement? Law enforcement, getting in, getting in fights with law enforcement. But what was the um, the main point of that post? What, what recent successes did you accomplish? I got my AA. Um, completely sober. And I'm back in school. But I just finished the hardest course of the program of uh, my degrees in sports medicine and fitness technology because you've always had the athleticism yeah you've always kind of been in fitness i'm sure once you went through basic training military the fitness came easier to you yeah you've always been kind of fit and you had a passion for it i mean look i mean you're still yoked right now and that's the other thing i really didn't get to is um one of the things i'm guilty of and you do as well you not so much as me is I annoy the hell out of people online with Facebook check-ins when I go to the gym. 
and I know you're constantly working out. Now, for a while, you actually had a cool thing going. You were getting like-minded Christians together, and you guys were running downtown mm-hmm. and working out. Are you guys still doing that? So I was doing a, a boot camp, a free boot camp class downtown in the park, and it was actually, I had I had people that weren't even Christian coming, mm-hmm. and I'd start off with a little, just devotional, like an encouraging, 15, just a little 15-minute encouragement, mm-hmm. and then we start the, the workout. Um, not doing it now, just because school's been so crazy. Sure. But now my school days are back down to two days a week, so I'm actually getting ready to open up my own gym. Nice. Yeah. Where Are you going to do that in Fort Myers or the Cape? I'm thinking downtown. Okay. There's a building. You also have a loose affiliation with a shop downtown that I drive by often. It has something yes. to do with uh, skateboards and yeah. uh, what and brewery? No, uh, coffee. Coffee, yep. What, what What's that place? Uh, the House of Ride Nature. Okay, what yeah. goes on there? Um, it's a Christian nonprofit organization. They serve coffee. They have events down there, live music. Um, they do. They have a little half pipe in the backyard. Sweet. Yeah. I'm running a half pipe in 20 years. Oh, it's, it's a little mini pipe. So um. I don't care. I'll go out there and do some <laughs> fakies and some Smith grinds on it. There you go. Let's go. They teach kids, um, but they do mission trips across the the world. Mm-hmm. They take skateboards and nice. they bring skateboards and surfboards and uh, skimboards, boogie boards, and they give those gifts away. Um, to share and the gospel. And surfboards are not a cheap gift. No, they're not. Surfboards are expensive because when I lived in California, growing up in Ohio and Kentucky, like I said, I started skateboarding in second grade. Mm-hmm. But being a hillbilly and a flatlander, one of my passions was always to go to California and surf. And so when I went out to Long Beach, I found a guy who worked with my father who had a plethora of surfboards because he was in his 50s and he had spent his life teaching people how to surf. And so he'd walk through his apartment. It was like a surf museum. And so he took me out to Malibu. I went surfing out there like two or three times, uh, Huntington Beach, all over. And so I finally got to accomplish my dreams of surfing. And I got to the point where I was going to purchase a wetsuit, going to go to get my first board. And then that's when my dad told me, hey, I'm retiring and moving to Florida. You have two choices. You can stay here or you can come with me. Well, at the time, this is back in 2003. Uh, and it's not. it hasn't changed. It's even worse now. But cost of living in California is insane. A single-bedroom apartment in and keep in mind, this is 18 years ago, and the bad side of town was $1,100 a month. That's for a studio apartment. Insurance is insane. And so I knew at that time, working a job, making 10 bucks an hour, just finishing up my computer school, that there was no way in hell that I could afford to live in California. And so now I knew my surfing dream was gone. But more importantly, I also spent 20 years snowboarding. And there's absolutely no snowboarding in Florida. So I knew surfing was going to go away and snowboarding was going to go away. And so a friend of mine... I worked in La Harbor at the time, and we would drive 45 minutes at Friday nights, and we would go snowboarding. I went snowboarding like 28 times within up two months before I moved down here to Florida in 04, and I haven't ridden since. My snowboard's sitting out in my garage, and just basically, I know you can go surfing up in Cocoa Beach, but I just, you know, I'm too, too damn busy. Full drive, too. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, full of like three hours, Cocoa yeah. Beach. So you guys, they do mission trips, and they and they find a way to get kids' attention with the skateboarding, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, that's nice now, too, because back when I was doing it back in the day, especially up in Ohio, I'm not sure how it was down here in Florida, skateboarding was not a welcomed sport. Um, X Games didn't exist. Yep. Tony Hawk was still a kid. You didn't have Rob Aderick. And so the only place you saw skateboarding was on the occasional commercial but we were treated almost like street gangs. I mean, we were constantly oh, yeah. ran out of places. It got to the point where people were making bumper stickers saying skateboarding is not a crime. Mm-hmm. And at the time, snowboarding was not welcome either. We were looked at as the gangs of the ski 
when I started snowboarding in 94 and you found some of the hills in Ohio that actually allowed them because a lot of places did not allow snowboarding, you would see like six of us and all the rest were skiers and they'd come and they'd ride over your top sheet and damage your board. Nowadays you go out, there's maybe four skiers on the yeah. whole down. It's completely flip-flopped. It's gone the whole other direction. And, but back then, you know, we were frowned upon for skateboarding and snowboarding. But it's so nice now that because our generation's gotten older that, you know, everything's changed. And people who were in the marketing and all that, and with the, especially the X Games, Rod Deerdick and all that stuff, skateboarding has become more socially acceptable. And it's kind of cool that they have found a way, especially to have a half pipe on their property. I mean, I'm sure that alone brings some kids in who wouldn't oh, yeah. otherwise be interested. So now, despite your growing up, despite your rough childhood, despite your uh, pill problems in the military, mm-hmm. being homeless twice, looking at seven years in prison, um, how long have you been sober now? Uh, from the pills, since 2013, mm-hmm. from the alcohol, it's, I mean, I last time I drank was a couple months ago, and that was a rough time. Sure. And I still struggle. Um, marijuana, I've been struggling with that, but I've been sober from that for three days yep but before that it was four days and it's and that that's a that's been a 20-year addiction for me well how is that how is that um how's that is it easier to justify that now with the um the mass acceptance of weed smoking oh yeah it's totally definitely easy to accept it and to to now that you know more and more states oh yeah it's it's so funny because when you talk you kind of get into that sober mode where you refer to it as marijuana yeah which most people only do when they don't do it Mm mm-hmm but now, especially with now that you have medical down here legal in Florida, mm-hmm. um, they're trying to get recreational done. Yep. My brother lives in Vegas. Recreation's just been passed there. Yep. So I guess as long as it doesn't have a negative impact on you, um, not only spiritually, health-wise, but in your daily life and achieving your goals, would you still consider that a problem? Um, I would only because... The Bible tells us to be sober-minded, mm-hmm. and for me, even one hit, I'm not sober. Like, sure. I would smoke and go to the gym and work out and mm-hmm. get amazing workouts. Yeah, because you're you're not focusing on all the other stuff you have to get done that day. Exactly. You're focusing on your workout. That's it. You know. So, and I'd smoke and go to school and sit there and and actually listen to what they're saying, take notes, and like do my schoolwork. But I don't want to. For me personally, I don't want to take anything that is going to affect my cognitive thinking so you're and plus your spiritual side is struggling with your physical side because you know it doesn't affect you physically because once again you you can go to the gym for an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and bust out a a good workout because you're not focusing on it and everything else you have to do but spiritually you you got you still have that conflict battling inside exactly but if you had to sit down and you're looking at somebody who's young um they've made some bad choices and they're kind of in the mindset you were where F it, let's just drink and party until we're dead. What advice would you give them or what would you say to them using your past experience and the positivity and, you know, because everybody struggles. I mean, in order to live, you got to learn every day. Mm-hmm. You got to work every day and you got to try to conquer your demons every day. Um, I would definitely say you've come a long way and, you know, none of us are perfect. But with that being said, you're trying to take all the negatives that you've experienced in your life and turn it to a positive to have somewhat of a positive impact on other people. So if you ran into 
you know, your modern day self and you ran into your past self or someone like you, what sort of advice would you give to them as far as obtaining their goals or, or realizing, yes, life's hard and life sucks, but it's not that bad? That's a good question. Um, not to beat yourself up when you mess up. You know, we all mess up, but it's what you do when you mess up. You know, it says the righteous fall 77 times, but you get back up. Well, because if you're not failing, you're not trying. Yeah. I mean, getting out of your comfort zone is one of the most key important things to um, improving your life. I mean, if you only do the things you're comfortable with, you're essentially going to live in a rut. That's it. Now, I'm not saying go out and do negative stuff, but, for example, if you want to do open mic, but you're scared of getting on stages, go do it. That's it. Fight past that fear. Yeah. If you like MMA, but you're afraid to get punched in the face. You know, it may not be the sport for you, but you could go down to a local gym and learn how to protect yourself and train and see what it's like. You just got to go out and get it. Mm-hmm. Don't let your... The one thing I would say, because we've all been there, we've all had bad childhoods, and we kind of hinted to it at the beginning, is don't let your past be an excuse, and surely don't allow it to define your future. And definitely don't allow the thoughts and opinions of other people, even if they are persons of authority to tell you you can't do something or you don't have the skills to do something if it's something you truly want to do mm-hmm. go out and chase those dreams yep. if you fail as you said it's not the failing it's what you do next you sit around and kick yourself in the ass and just give up and slide back down your rut or do you or do you keep on trucking it's a learning opportunity you learned a way not to do it now you find the right way to do it and the key thing about failing and about messing up is admitting that you failed, admitting you messed up, learning from it, and not doing it again. Yep. You know, especially with the younger generation, you see a lot of cats who don't want to admit, even if it's something super minor. You could be working at McDonald's and they, you know, they said they changed the old grease trap yesterday and they didn't. Now all the fries are super dark and they taste like ass. Just take it, take it on the chin. I messed up. My bad. I'll go do it right now. Let's get some new grease in there. Get some golden fries out. And move on with your life. Yeah. It's okay to admit that you messed up. I think it's important. It is. It's not just okay. It's it's vital to your existence and to your transformation in life. You have to admit when you mess up and learn from it. And move on. That's what I had to do. I had to admit that I didn't know what I thought I knew. I, I had to admit that I messed up over and over and over again and learned a new way to do it. When do you think... Uh, when's your... School finally wrapping up. When are you going to get your, your... You said you're taking your master's now, too? Bachelor's. Your bachelor's. Yeah. I'll have my bachelor's next July. Nice. Yep. And then right now the goal is to... Op- I'm going to open a nonprofit gym. Okay. That trains people spiritually and physically. Sure. You know, I don't want to just worry about the physical part of our body, but I want to worry about eternity as well. Now, the, t- the term nonprofit is a little, is a little uh, misgiving because people think non-profit means 100% free it's non-profit as in it doesn't generate a profit but it still has to generate enough revenue to pay for its overhead and so obviously you're going to have to create some sort of at least minimalistic gym membership right I mean how, how are you going to finance it um, I'm relying completely on God I don't want to charge anybody I want this to be a completely open door you can come in no worries no payment no nothing so you're going to do fundraisers and donations fundraisers donations and just completely trust that he's going to provide everything that i need that in itself is a huge leap of faith it is especially with the price of uh 
of rent and commercial space down here. Definitely. But I know that I'm here for a reason. Okay. I should still be in prison for three years. If Think about that for a second. Yeah. It's been five years. Yep. It's taken you five years to get here, and you've come a hell of a long way. I would say you're successful, at least compared to where you were. Yeah. I mean, success is a is a relative term. Some people look at success based on money and financial status, and some people look at based on happiness and your position in life and where you are now in contrast to where you were then. Yeah. And um, I would definitely say you've, you've definitely come a hell of a long way, and I congratulate you on that. Thank you. And I think you're a huge... Um, huge motivational force and someone to uh, reach out to if you're looking for guidance and you're in the same predicament and you're uh, looking for someone to share your faith with thank you just want to congratulate you on that Uh, thank you all for hanging out with us for the first episode of failed to fail where we talk to people who've come a long way in their journeys to uh, find success in life and uh, joining us today was Mike Frenchko he's been down one hell of a path but I see good things going for him, and uh, I hope your gem works out to uh, succeed all your your aspirations and then some, and uh, hope you help change some people's lives. Thank you, and I just want to say Luke one one twenty seven says, with, with God all things are possible. And I think you're living by that, and you're, uh, you're proving it. Keep it up, man. Stay sober. Thank you. And... Uh, Congratulations on your future uh, diploma. Appreciate it. Did you ever think when you're eight years ago that you'd ever be here? Heck no, man. <laughs> Where did you see yourself back then? Bro, I got kicked out of four elementary schools. I got kicked out of three middle schools. I got kicked out of three high schools. I thought that I I would never make 20. I didn't think that I'd make 20. Eight years of heroin, I didn't. No way. I'll be 32 tomorrow. I did not think that. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Here's to living a good life. And here's the eight years of heroin without picking up any STDs or any or AIDS. Or I had hepatitis C, but I got completely healed. Really? Yeah. How do you pull that one off? I have no idea. We've got a miracles. I guess, man. <laughs> well, happy birthday and uh, stay on the straight and narrow, and uh, I'll be seeing you around town. Yes, sir. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, if you want to find some more information on this podcast and the other podcast I do, please check out d-410.com. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you all next time.